You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Danny Ramadan to, to read from his new book, The Foghorn Echoes, followed by a conversation. Danny is a Syrian-Canadian author, public speaker, and advocate for LGBTQ refugees. His debut novel, The Clothesline Swing, was shortlisted for the Lambda Literary Award, longlisted for Canada Reads, and named a best book of the year by The Globe and Mail and Toronto Star. He has an MFA in creative writing from UBC and currently lives in Vancouver with his husband. Danny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lance. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our conversation. No, it's our pleasure to have you on. You know, your book is great and, you know, we're excited about this. Um, before we Before we start our conversation, you have a reading for us? Uh, absolutely. So the Foghorn Echoes is the book I'm going to read from you for you today from uh, the book follows the story of two gay Syrian uh, boys. In the first chapter, they, uh, they express the love for one another, but uh, a majorly traumatic experience separate them. The book follows up 10 years later, uh, alternating between their perspectives. One is Hossam, and he lives in Vancouver, and he drowns his trauma with a lot of sex, drugs, and alcohol, while the other is Wasim, and he is homeless in Damascus. Uh, I'm going to do something that other authors would consider blasphemy, but I'm going to read from a very um, the very end of the book. Uh, but this is a self-contained story that I find really funny and I want to, to read for you today. The taxi driver asked if I was escaping military service and I told him that I was an only child. You're a lucky one, he said. You're the only one who won't be called upon in these times. You never know, I said from the backseat. You never know, he repeated. There were three of us in the car, myself, the driver, and his friend in the front. They told me the trip across the border won't be long, and especially since I was legally leaving Syria with my passport. There wouldn't be any trouble at the border. We passed the windy streets of Aleppo quickly, leaving behind us the heavy shilling noise in eastern neighborhoods. With every explosion, I jumped in the back seat while both the driver and his friend nonchalantly continued their conversation. On our way out of the city, we were saluted by its dimly lit citadel, the the fortress made of stones too large for a dozen men to carry, had survived 2,000 years and hundreds of wars. It looked abandoned, save for a large Syrian flag and a tower-tall picture of Bashar al-Assad. Hours later, we neared the Turkish border. We parked in the long line of cars leaving the country, some empty except for a passenger or two, others packed to the roof with luggage. The line stretched for miles ahead of us, and the driver and his friend left the car to smoke. 
I heard a ringtone coming from inside the car. I lowered the window and told the driver that his phone was ringing. He flashed me his phone in his hand, and before I could say any more, the ringing stopped. By the time we reached the border check, the sun had already risen and dryness filled my mouth. The driver's friend had fallen asleep while the driver smoked yet another cigarette, puffing the smoke through his opened window. He elbowed his friend awake and they handed their documents to the officer to leave through. Where's Malik? The driver asked. I thought this was his shift. Malik is sick today, the officer responded. He looked at me through the window and I handed him my passport. He examined it in the dark sunlight, then bent it. I thought he might bite it next to ensure its authenticity, but he finally handed it back. The driver was about to start the engine again, but the officer asked him to open the trunk. Malik never asked us to open the trunk. His voice was steady. I'm not Malik, now open the trunk. The driver exchanged a look with his friend before he pulled the lever by his side and the trunk unlocked. What's going on? I whispered to them. The driver hushed me while following the officer with his eyes. We are fucked. His friend nodded in agreement. It finally dawned on me that someone was hiding in the trunk. That is where the ringtone came from. The officer pulled the trunk open. Seconds passed. My fingers trembled, and I felt a tightness in my stomach. You brought this on me, I whispered to the driver and his friend, and they shushed me in unison. A few moments, <clears throat> excuse me, a few more seconds passed, then the officer closed the trunk, tapped on it twice, and ordered us to drive away. The driver, not believing his ears, hit the road fast, leaving a cloud of dust behind. I wanted to look back, but he shouted at me to keep my face forward. We drove for 10 minutes in silence until the border disappeared behind us. And then he parked on the side of the road and the three of us jumped out of the car. Together, we opened the trunk. Inside was the smuggled man who was drunk. The driver explained to me that the man was due to join military service to fight on the front lines, not wanting to be part of the war and knowing well that his name was on the no travel list, he had no option but to be smuggled. The man broke into fits of laughter and stank of whiskey. He told us that using the flashlight on his phone, he had found a box containing four bottles of whiskey stashed back there. I had nothing else to do but drink. The man shielded his eyes from the harsh sun. He had guzzled the alcohol on an empty stomach and had passed out until the officer opened the trunk. We both froze, he told us. Without thinking, he had handed a full bottle of whiskey to the officer. The officer looked at the bottle and back at the man and snatched the bottle and closed the trunk. The funny part is, the man said slowly, I can't tell if I gave him the bottle filled with alcohol or the one I drank, then filled with my own piss. Thank you. Thank you. What a great reading. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for sharing from, you know, yeah, you're one of few who, you know, go from the end of, end of the book for a reading. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, I think I think it's a good part, a good story to tell. I like contained stories that I can mm -hmm. I can do a reading with. Yeah. 
And I think it leaves a lot of mystery. Like, how do we lead up instead of, you know, the beginning where it's like, okay, this is us getting introduced to the story, the ending where it's like, oh, how does it end up there? You yeah. know? And yeah. um, well, I'm excited to talk about this book. It's, I mean, it feels so, it feels just like always relevant in both just the queerness of it and, you know, um, the current events of it, you know what I mean? The, mm -hmm. the, the real, um, I hate to use the word authenticity because it's not, it's not a good word for it, but just the, the, the heartfelt of it, the connection in it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not the authenticity, the connection, the connection of it. Um, where did the, where did the idea for this book start from you? Mm -hmm. for you? Um, so this is my, my sophomore, um, sorry. This is my sophomore novel, right? This is my mm. second novel. And I was struggling to come up with a story for it for a while, honestly. Um, my first book came out and was quite successful here in Canada. And I wanted to, to, to be better, to write a better story, I, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and I struggled. I, was, I, I had an imposter syndrome that filled me up for, for weeks. I just couldn't put pen on paper. And then one day at three o'clock in the morning, honestly, I was asleep um, here in Vancouver. We are on the ocean and um, it was foggy outside. And then I woke up to the sound uh, of the foghorn and I've never heard a foghorn before Lance. I've never had that experience in my life. Uh, I, I lived on coastal cities before I lived in Beirut, for example, mm -hmm. but we never had the experience of using a foghorn we don't have fog with that, that in in that capacity mm -hmm. the other sound that i had that sounded a lot like foghorn was the sirens of war back in damascus it just threw me off i was so freaked out i jumped on bed and i'm like godzilla is coming i lost my i lost my mind basically wow. uh, my husband my husband woke up and and it was a mess in our house and he took like 45 minutes to calm me down and he explained what a foghorn is and then of course like nobody went back to sleep me my husband and the dog we never went back to sleep that night um but i sat down and i wrote that that morning, I wrote um, a scene that ended up being in the second half of the book and became the 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 essence of the book. The idea of being in a safe space, being being surrounded by safety, yet the trauma of the past is there is still at war with yourself. And I mean, that just felt there was something. I mean. The book isn't, you know, everyone's specific story. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people who are going to be reading that, reading the book, who are, you know, learning a lot about um, PTSD from this perspective. But I mean, there's still a lot of like, like what you were saying there, the idea of a certain sense bringing you back to something in your past that's mm -hmm. accessible. And, you know, that's really beautiful in that way. It feels, your book feels accessible to anyone reading it. Um, was it was did that come from your own you know want in the book or was that something afterwards that you were just like wow this is a story of like ptsd and someone's inherent trauma mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i'm diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder um 
I I went to therapy for two or three years for it. I still navigate it. And I think um I think when I wrote the book, I had multiple engines that I wanted the book to to move forward using. So one of the engines is the idea of war, war within yourself, war with your past, war between two people who are beloved to each other, but also the idea of trauma and and the navigation of trauma, navigation of post-traumatic stress and how how that stress can, um, can take over your life in a way. And, uh, and yeah, like I did, I did think um, I have a mentor. So me and my mentor, we spent um, almost a year just discussing those themes and trying to, to see them from my own perspective, from my own life as a human, as well as from the way that I present myself and, and the, 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 the counseling that I went through and the therapy that I went through. Um, so having those in-depth philosophical conversations really helped me uh, aspire to write a book that tells that story. At the same time, I really didn't want to write a philosophical book. I didn't want to write a book where I'm lecturing you about trauma or I'm lecturing you about like the trigger moment or whatever. I didn't want to come across as, as it's not a psychology book, it's a, it's a novel, you know what I mean? So right. I wanted to present you with specific, clear human examples of what it means to live through um, such stress that you end up with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you do. I feel that you accomplished that in this. <laughs> Thank and, you. Um, I mean, it must it must have been hard to like you know for yourself. You have to put that on paper. You have to put that on metaphorical paper. I mean, I'm assuming mm -hmm. you didn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might have typewritered it. You know, you might have tripped Capote <laughs> on the tub, wrote, wrote it. You know, like. Uh, Honestly, kudos to you if you did. Um, I did not. I typed it on my laptop. I typed it on my Mac, and I'm I'm. The last time I held a pen to a paper was like while I was I don't know leave it a post-it note to my husband. It's uh, <laughs> well now you know yeah. for the next one. Now the next one, you know exactly how you do it. Type in that. That's a that's an author photo right there. Get it. Get. It. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, but it will be very Instagram influencer kind of thing where <laughs> I will go into next to a like a typewriter and take yeah. the picture with it, and then go home and actually use my actual laptop to write. And you, and you know what? That's a that's a brilliant idea. I that's a free sure. idea I'm giving you right there. Go be that. Thank you, Len. Your next, the next era of your life is Instagram influencer. And I, you listen. It sounds great. Um, thank that's you, where thank the, you. That's where the real money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, no, um, the next, I mean, on the topic of PTSD, you know, coming from that, <laughs> I just, the dynamic there, um, the two main characters of the story, you know, they, they, yeah, they suffer from PTSD, um, but in very different ways. Like, there's two very distinct ways that they do it, and you very, you map it out really well, where, you know, we feel we feel like we understand how they both how they both are, you know, going through their lives and dealing with their trauma. Mm -hmm. Was it how was it writing it from those two specific so two specific and different experiences? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So I will, I'm a storyteller, so I'll tell you a story. In 2018, after I released the Clothesline Swing and I have been uh, outlining the next book, uh, I was on a panel and uh, you know the Q&A after a panel, which is the most mm. dreaded thing for any author. Like we love the Q&A because a lot of people raise their hands and they ask lovely questions, but also mm. there's the chance of the guy who raises his hands and ask a, a nasty question. And... Um, I had this person raise their hand and they asked, uh, what am I working on next? Which is a fair question. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm working on the story of two queer men um, who are navigating the trauma of leaving Syria. Mm -hmm. And the person looks me in the eye and they said, didn't you just write this book? Which in reference to my first novel. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I, I kind of flipped. I kind of like, I, I'm sorry. I felt bad because I kind of sort of flipped on the stage and I got really angry. But the idea is that um, a white author is allowed to write a bajillion story about white characters doing a white million different things. And me as a brown person who's writing about the queer Syrian refugee, I have written the manual with my first book and I cannot yeah. write about queer Syrian refugees anymore. So that honestly, like that story, that specific interaction got me to want to write two different perspectives mm -hmm. where two boys who are identical in every way say, face the same exact trauma and then react to it in completely different ways. So one of them is fight. He is fighting. He is navigating trauma with a lot of um, internal conflict with a lot of conflict with the people around him, while the other is flight. He is escaping this trauma. He left the whole country. He went to uh, Vancouver and he's drowning his sorrows with drugs, sex, and alcohol, just trying to escape that trauma. Right. And I just wanted to, to write that book that way. I wanted to separate them and show how one identical trauma can change two identical boys to have two completely different outcomes. And I mean, I that must have been personally, you know, did you have did you have to like investigate your own trauma to separate that, to like go through each specific thing and say, I'm gonna let this trauma go to um <clears throat> and tell me if I'm because I've only read their names uh throughout Sam and Wasim. Sam and Wasim. I just want to make sure I was like I'm yeah, you're fine. Don't cancel me. Um, but like, <laughs> Not today. <laughs> um, but like one characteristic, like you go through your own um, specific trauma and say this characteristic is going to Hassan and this one's going to Wasim. And like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of have to do that throughout the book, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was, yeah. it, what, what, was it difficult for you? Huh. So... You know, we always say that somebody has a trauma response, right? Like they're mm -hmm. either flight or fight. And I yeah. think that that's very black and white because like, it's mm -hmm. not your star sign. It's not like, oh yeah. my God, I'm such a flight traumatic response person. Oh my God, look at me. Listen, listen, that's your if that's your influencer era. I'm just saying it's coming through, <laughs> it's coming through there. You got, you got something there. Yeah, yeah. My star sign is, my star trauma sign is a flight, <laughs> but uh, my moon rising is it's a flight. Yeah, anyway, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I responded to a lot of the traumas that I, I have a lot of traumatic experiences as a mm -hmm. um, a gay man growing up in Syria 
-hmm. then a lot of traumatic experiences navigating the civil war in Syria, and then traumatic experiences navigating being a refugee in Lebanon. Um, Mm -hmm. And funny enough, a lot of traumatic experiences trying to establish myself and, and build a sense of belonging here in Canada, because the idea that a refugee arrives somewhere in North America and now they're A-OK is such a such a lie. It takes a lot of work to establish yourself here and to, to yeah. navigate all of that. And I responded to all of those traumas in different ways. Like I never had like one specific way that I responded to, to one specific trauma. I escaped some of them. I fought others. I froze sometimes. Um, and that's what happens. That is how life is. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think I did I did take the complexity of all of those experiences and I tried to distill it into two characters, one that responds always with flight and one that responds always with fight. Mm-hmm. That's um that is how I I use my real life experiences to inspire my two characters. Yeah, and I mean <clears throat> one thing I one thing I, you know. I have always thought when I when hearing about and learning about um, the the Syrian refugee crisis and you know mm-hmm. Syrian reading and learning about a lot of Syrian refugees who have shared their stories and um, been very open and vote like vocal about it is that you know there's I especially the westernized world wants to, you know, box it, wants to say, yeah, these are, they are all Syrian refugees and this is their, this is exactly how um, every one of their stories are. Where it's like, mm-hmm. no, there's so much there. I, I, I as a child of uh, two immigrant parents myself, I'm like, no, there's, there's so many layers there. There, mm-hmm. the history there, the, the, um, everyone's story is different where do they they're going to different places there's so many um different levels to that there's so many layers mm-hmm. to it there's mm-hmm. the your there's the idea of being both a refugee and an immigrant to a new country there's barriers there there's so much but like you know the world loves to categorize things and then mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. put them on a shelf and never have to really investigate that mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. I think a book like yours is great because like these are two as you said identical boys who are responding to things very differently mm-hmm. and I mean even um even Wasim's character is who um comes to Canada right no the other way around so Sam's character comes to Canada yeah. Wasim's character stay in Damascus well, Hasim's character—it's so interesting to see a character who, like, you know, he comes to Canada. He's the dream, right? The he's living the 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 what people think is like. I'm talking about like the Westernized world. Is like mm-hmm. he made it. Everything's fine now. Like it's not. It's it's mm-hmm. not. It's very like there's there's so many more uh, layers to that. And I think that you know sharing that story is great it's what people need to be reading and seeing in it um Mm -hmm. with the book being out have you seen a response in that way um i think i think i i agree with you there's this certain idea this certain expectation that you arrive at the airport and um and now everything is totally fine everything is Mm -hmm. a-okay Um, and you will be happy forever and that idea is not shared only by westerners um syrians who are still back in syria or refugees across Mm -hmm. uh 
the the Middle East, they also think that when they arrive to Canada, everything is going to be a okay and and everything right. will be fine. Um, I had the same idea exactly like back in back in Lebanon that the minute that I will arrive to Canada, um, I don't know, like an agent will be waiting for me at the airport with a contract so I can sign on the dotted line and then a list of all the handsome um, boys who are of appropriate age who want to take me out on a date. Um, that, that didn't, didn't happen. happen. What? No, it didn't. Uh, I know it, uh, it was in the package and everything. I know it wasn't that's for what, sure. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, happened. yeah. Oh, that's uh, so yeah. Sorry. There's the agency. Just the I'm agents. telling you nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I want to talk to a manager about this because that's I know. I know. <laughs> Let's Karen this shit up. Exactly. Um, my God. <laughs> but anyway, um, Dude, I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's okay. You're okay. Um, but anyways, my point is that um, I loved writing that um, that story. I found it really um, healing for me to write that story um, and to try to create this understanding through Hussein uh, as he is navigating Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, because flawed as he is, I honestly think of him as a lovable character. He is a, he's a sweetheart. He's like deep down inside, he is fucked up, but like he's a sweetheart and I adore him that way. Um, I received a lot of messages from folks who went through the same experience, who read the book, who have been um, here in Canada, who have been um, quite um, uh, moved by the representation of that experience. I think that that, um, that resonated with a lot of uh, a lot of folks, and mm-hmm. uh, it also resonated with um, a lot of white folks who never thought about this before. A lot of folks yeah. who are born here who never had that experience before. So mm-hmm. I'm thankful that that's something they they could see through my art. Yeah, and that's that's great. I love to hear that. I and I, you know, hope for more in the future to you know discover those stories and be able to either find connection in it or you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, be able to broaden their perspectives on things because mm-hmm. you know that's what we need in this world more people broadening their perspectives and being able to you know step outside of their own box and learn how other people live mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. with the story one thing that i found very impressive was like in the thing a lot of authors you know definitely try to do but are not always successful in doing is telling you know a story kind of backwards and able to like, you know, uncover the plot from, cause from the very beginning you give us this, um, you give us this like plot point that like, you know, you think would, you're like, okay, wow, this is crazy. And then you don't give it to us immediately. You don't give it to us what the immediate aftermath is immediately. And you have us, you know, have to uncover mm-hmm. the, the plot as we go um, throughout the story. How was that? as a writer writing it that way because you know again not a lot of people are successful in that yeah yeah um i actually love doing that so i mm-hmm. um i love that i start the book with an inciting incident where something massive happens and then i'm like okay so you see this yeah i'll tell you about it later let's hang out here for a bit first um <laughs> yeah i like that very much uh one mm-hmm. thing that really helped was plotting for me so i did a lot of um 
uh, book st structured drawings uh, that helped me put this together. So I created uh, a chronological line. So what actually happened? And then as the years go by, um, what happens after and what happened after? So I knew my whole story from A to Z um, right there drawn on a wall. And then I created um, the, the, the book uh, storyline, this um, non-linear storytelling uh, where I use both characters to, to tell the story. And, um, and I, I loved creating that because it, it ended up having two different books in front of me and I managed to create them in a way that, that works for me. But also, I loved creating that from their perspective. So I'm writing first-person perspective from both characters, right? Alternating mm -hmm. who's telling the story. And people lie. And people remember things differently. Yeah. Um, so there was the truth, what happened according to me, who created the story. And then there was the truth, what happened according to this character. And the truth, what happened according to that character. And having mm -hmm. all of those different tools in front of me, all of those different structures presented on the wall in front of me just helped me um, create a, a streamlined, non-linear narrative in the book. And I mean, yeah, again, it worked. It worked very well. And it, I think it's interesting talking about, you know, the truth in those three ways. Because, yeah, you usually hear about the unreliable narrator who's remembering things from their perspective. But you... A lot of the time I don't hear about like, yeah, the author's perspective too. What is the truth in that? And was there like, was it easy for you to, you know, step away from your own truth of how the story, you know, is compared mm -hmm. to how it was for each character? Was that an easy, you know, step to take? I think, um, I, I don't like playing God on the page. I, mm -hmm. I don't like writing a story from the perspective of somebody who's assured with their words. I'm mm -hmm. writing memoir at the moment, which means that I have to be assured of my word and that yeah. is so annoying, but I'm trying to find ways to create speculative nonfiction and writing mm -hmm. memoir, but I digress. Um, my, <laughs> my, my desire is to write from an unreliable narrator, not unreliable because of, of, of who they are. They're unreliable mm -hmm. because of the trauma that, that affected them um, and basically mushed their memories together. So mm -hmm. that, is, that is such a complex point of view that I love to jump in. It's, it's kind of my comfort chair. Like this is, mm -hmm. this is where I shine most when I'm writing. Um, mm -hmm. I find writing a reliable narrator who's telling you things exactly as they happen, the, 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 the Jane Austen style, to be quite restrictive, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So so it would be harder for me to write from that perspective than to write from an unreliable narrator. A quick, you know, side tangent off. Yeah, with your memoir, I don't, and this is, you know, I'm saying it to the audience because I think it's important. It's not important to like, did you ever play the telephone game when you were younger? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Iconic game, amazing game, wonderful. I still play it sometimes um, mm -hmm. at dinner parties. You know, it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, your, I feel like your own mind kind of, whenever you try to remember the past, is playing the telephone game. We're like, 
you remember how it happened and then five years later you're telling yourself how it happened again but there might be some differences and so on mm-hmm. and so forth we're like mm-hmm. there are a lot of authors i think when they the best successful authors who are telling memoirs are okay with the fact that some of it might be fiction but yes. they're telling it yeah right it's it's yeah. important it's it's not important it's a story it's a story in its own it's its own it's it's um a narrative it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. having to be exact it's not i'm not like i could watch a documentary if i want like specific exactly. facts on something you know what i mean yeah but i mean yeah. like yeah memoir you just you gotta you gotta lean into the fact that like you know sometimes it might not be a hundred percent authentic to what you thought happened there but like mm-hmm. you know it makes it more fun it makes it more fun tell it really does i have a friend who's a um who's uh, an author she her name is uh, Jeannie Chang she is a fantastic author actually I love her and she said that writing memoir is basically writing historical fiction yeah because you are basically looking back at your own history mm-hmm. um the other thing is what you remember right now um I'm, I'm sorry but like I am 38 for example mm-hmm. and how I remember myself when I was 10 is different than when I was 25 trying to remember myself when I was 10 because exactly. the 25 year old is an immature jerk who was running around dating half of the city he lived in uh while this this established 38 year old author is much more mature than that jerk and mm-hmm. and sees things differently and finds relations differently and understand the world differently so that is really important to me to acknowledge while I'm writing memoir um, mm-hmm. And as for the fiction in memoir, to be honest, I'm more interested in what is true over what is real. I mm-hmm. prefer to tell you a truthful story about the experiences of growing up as a queer person uh, of color in the Middle East and then coming here to Canada as an immigrant of color mm-hmm. and navigating racism here, uh, leaving homophobia in exchange for racism, which is a lot of fun. Um, but, <laughs> um, but I would rather I would rather navigate that with the real, with the truthful um, life stories than to tell you exactly how things happened. And I mean, that's truth in its own. Like you're telling, like there's also another one of my favorite memoirs, uh, things that I feel like is coming up recently is people mm-hmm. telling memoirs and then having people who are in that story tell their own perspective of those memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like it, it it gives it, it shapes it, but it also gives it more fun. It gives it more fun mm-hmm. to see how like, you know, and I wonder for authors too, if it makes it more fun to see, oh, this is how this person saw what happened then to think of like, you know, what happened mm-hmm. in my perspective of it. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's, oh God, that's just therapy, isn't it? That's at that point, it's just <laughs> having a session with my therapist. Oh, I should talk this to is, her about this. This is group therapy, I'm telling you. Like bring it's all of your therapy. friends and family and have a group therapy session and see how that goes. Uh, yeah, no, I, every every family should write a book it's, and everyone separately <laughs> should write a book in the family. And then everyone reads it to see what was the truth. And you know, <laughs> the truth is in there somewhere, but who knows who has uh, it, right? <laughs> That's how you end up with a with a murder mystery. Who yeah, killed no, and, that's, and tell me, tell me that's not what you want to see in a movie. Uh, <laughs> listen, that sounds like an A twenty four film come to life. 
Let's I go. am into it. I am into <laughs> it, my man. Yeah, yeah. yeah sounds good. I'm, I'm just putting out ideas here. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to talk about, another interesting thing you did in their story that I think, again, paid off well, was, you know, there was, there was a fantastical or paranormal element to it that was really cool. You have a ghost mm-hmm. in there that's haunting um, mm-hmm. uh, Wasim's character. And, you know, it's it's interesting to put, you know, in a book that feels so grounded in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to put that element in there that kind of heightens the um, the speculative world of mm-hmm. it. Like, how was that for you? What was that choice to put um, this ghost in the story? Ah, uh, um. So Kalila, the ghost that hunts Wasim in Damascus, is mm-hmm. actually a response to uh, the ghost of the father that hunts Hossam in uh, Vancouver. So mm-hmm. Hossam, um, he, I manifested his trauma in this ghost, the ghost of his father, that is around him all the time. He is in the middle of a nightclub, dancing to the beach, shirtless, and the ghost of his father is just like staring at him from the corner. And right. that ghost is... Um, is a manifestation of Hossam's uh, trauma. It's not really there. It's just, it's right. grounded in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted the two characters to echo each other, right? So I didn't want to leave Hossam without his own ghost. And given that um, Hossam's father's ghost is, no, that's not how he said that. <laughs> and I wanted the two characters to echo um, in a way. So I wanted Wasim to have his own ghost, similar to how Hossam has his father as a ghost. And Hossam's father's ghost is not real. So I wanted Wasim's ghost to be real. And then I decided to create Kalila, the woman who has a motherly figure towards um, towards Wasim. Then I didn't know what to do with her. And at the same time, I was reading uh, this memoir by um, a Syrian author, uh, the memoir called The Daughter of Damascus, beautiful memoir. And it reminded me a lot of the feminine energy of Syria, the feminine beauty of Syria, the the, the history of women in Syria. And I wanted to to bring that into the book. Uh, Also, my therapist is a female. Uh, She is a First Nation person uh, from from here, from Vancouver, who is... uh, fantastic and I've been working with her for six years and she had been amazing in offering me support so mm-hmm. um, I wanted to marry all of this the history of Syria as a country alongside the feminine energy of Syrian women alongside the the, the grounding stability of my therapist who all come together to to bring me groundness um, so that's where the ghost of Kalila came from. And I don't, um, somebody asked me if this is a ghost story. And I'm like, mm, I, I think this is a, a literary work of fiction that includes a ghost. And as a Syrian person, that is totally normal in the way that we tell stories. Having mm-hmm. ghosts or ghouls or witches or angels in our stories is part of who we are. So yeah. I'm not going to, yeah. So I don't, I don't think of it as like a magical element. I wouldn't call it magic realism. I would mm-hmm. just say that I needed a ghost there, so I added a ghost there. I mean, I love that explanation. I needed a ghost there, so I added a ghost there. End of sentence. Uh, no, and I mean, 
it's not new it's it's shakespeare shakespearean you know it's uh it's a lot of um I mean, that's westernized. Let me get out of the western perspective of it. <laughs> but a lot of like, yeah, non-westernized books or stories use it. And it's it's mm-hmm. beautiful. But yeah, I love that you're just like, I need a ghost, I got a ghost. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. about that. And it works really well. I mean, do you, did it help you to have that ghost in the story too? In the sense of like, you know, getting to put mm-hmm. a little bit of yourself in there in a way. Like, this is a, Hmm. I I will I will again I'll tell you a story because this is what I'm good at. Um, I was <laughs> I was hanging hanging out with uh, Isabel Lind. She wrote the the the, the House of Ghosts, mm-hmm. uh, fantastic Latin American author, and uh, we're talking about Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who's another fantastic oh. Latin American author. One of and my she met him. Authors. Oh God, I adore him. I adore oh, him. I have so no funny. idea how I can be as good as he is. I really want <laughs> I to. Mean, he, I, I love in the time of cholera changed me as a, I think I read it when I was 12 and I was like, this is, this is art. This is so good. Um, <laughs> right. This is, yeah. uh, I still yeah. tell it to people. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you though. No, totally fine. So I was talking to Isabel Lind about this uh, specific scene in A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel mm-hmm. Garcia Marquez, in which um, this beautiful woman who lives in the village is uh, outside uh, doing the laundry, putting the clothes on the, the clotheslines. Mm-hmm. And um, an angel comes from the sky and snatches her because she's too beautiful to live on this earth. Um, and Isabel tells me that what Gabriel Garcia Marquez is trying to do here is to tell you that the woman escaped with um, a suitor that her family didn't agree with, but the family to keep honor uh, said, oh yeah, yeah, an angel came down, snatched her and left her up. But Gabriel, Gabriel, Mar- uh, Gabriel Marquez never um, uh, never tried to explain that. He didn't tell us about the details of this KP. He just shared the magic realism of the woman being snatched by angels. Mm-hmm. And then Isabel was like, both stories are true. Both stories are real. You know what I mean? And both yeah. stories are telling of something. So the woman escaping with the boy that the family didn't agree with is telling of love. Uh, the, the story of the girl being snatched away by angels is uh, telling of honor. There's a lot of reasons why those two stories can coexist at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's what I tried to do with, um, with the ghost in both Damascus and Vancouver. Right. I wanted to create ghosts where they are telling of a truth, even if you question if they exist or not. And that, I mean, yeah, what answer? What better answer do I need? That was no. You should always, you should, and you say you do, but like never ever tell, uh, give an answer without telling a story because mm-hmm. that is a gift. That is a gift. Um, Thank you, and you do it so well. Um. Well, sadly, we have to wrap up, but Aww. I know, right? We could, we could you know, I, I, I could ask a few more questions about this because <laughs> this is, I mean, this book was just so, I mean, there was a lyrical vibe to it too, where I was reading it and I was just like, oh, this is the, I love dialogue. I love dialogue mm-hmm. and I love reading dialogue because I feel like, you know, 
I love, I mean, I'm also one of those people who loves to go to public places and hear people have conversations because I feel like, you know, it's very illuminating to see, hear what people are saying. Yeah. But like, and that's why I think I love dialogue in um, literature too, because, you know, it's great to hear. I mean, the internal monologues of people are fine, but like, you know, hearing how people talk and hearing how people, mm-hmm. what people say to each other and how they greet each other and how they, mm-hmm you know, you get so much out of that. And I mean, mm-hmm. you do such a great job of it. Was it like to to capture the voices of the people in the um, the book, was that hard for you? Mm. So I learned my dialogue from an author called Thomas King. He is quite mm. uh, famous here in Canada, uh, I think in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a short story called Borders where um, oh, yeah. an indigenous woman is saying goodbye to her daughter who is leaving the reserve where she where they live and mm-hmm. moving to uh, Salt Spring City or something. And in the dialogue, uh, they're having a conversation about water. The mother is like, oh, this is shite coffee. And the daughter is like, hey, I'll visit you every now and then. And the mother is like, yeah, but the, the, the water is terrible in Salt Lake City. It's going to be terrible for you. And she's like, yeah, but like, you know, I can come and visit. And she's like, yeah. And when you're making your coffee, you will um, you will have to use bottled water. So that dialogue really stayed with me because the mother here has three layers in what you're saying. There is what is being said. So she's talking about coffee. She is criticizing mm-hmm. the coffee. Uh, what is being unsaid. So what is the meaning, the tone, the intention behind the line, which is she's criticizing Salt Lake City, telling her daughter that her decision to move will have consequences. Um, And that's why she's using coffee as an example. And then there's what can never be said, which is, I understand that you're growing up, but I don't want you to leave me. So those three layers of dialogue existing in a conversation about coffee is literally what I love to do with dialogue. It's it's finding, because we have a lot of jargon. We talk to each other all the time and we talk to mm. each other about the weather. We talk to each other about everything. And and a lot of what we say doesn't have those three layers of, 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 of dialogue, doesn't have the depth. But sometimes we say something and it's so deep and meaningful and it has something that is very, um, inverted into who we are and those are the lines of dialogue that i I like to bring up and throw in uh for the reader those are the lines of dialogue that that usually stands up because it it forces you to think more about what is being said here and i mean that's in itself a great writing lesson of like you know what is dialogue the the levels of what dialogue bring you know versus Mm -hmm. like you saying you saying oh this is and they this is what they met in the book or like you know she's sad (laughs) she exactly because she's she's mad at her like yeah no like dialogue can tell a bigger story than just saying Mm -hmm. it's just saying what the people are feeling or what it means Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i mean yeah that's if you're a writer listening to this yeah please take note of that because it's so 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 important <laughs> to the right because i feel like i read so much so many things from like newer writers and i'm not mm-hmm. saying it in a bad way because everyone you know you have to grow you have to start off somewhere and writing mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. an easy thing to do but you read mm-hmm. so much dialogue from people where you're like okay but like where's 
what are they trying to say? Where's the, mm-hmm. what, what is the next layer? They, like, mm-hmm. don't just tell me it in exposition or in uh, mm-hmm. your narration or whatever. Like, give it to me in like actual, like, sort of like give it to me in actual, like, subtlety and reading have me read between the lines which is mm-hmm. you know it's this it's i feel like read between the lines is like one of those things that people are like oh that's such a simple and terrible phrase to say and then you really you read someone's work you're like but you didn't do it you know like, yeah yeah it's not like, happening yeah where, where is it you, you you say it's simple but i'm not seeing it um yeah. read between the lines um the, <laughs> I mean, it was, that was, I'm, now I'm going to even note that I say this and I'm like giving a critique on it. And I'm going to look at my own writing afterwards and be like, damn. You know what I didn't do? Oh, gosh. Yeah, but Lance, let me tell you one thing. It's really important to realize uh, writing is hard, not because you're trying to write. Writing is hard because you're trying to write well. That is the major difference here. Um, the idea wow. that you can go back to your work and find because anybody can put two sentences together that is that yeah. is happening people write they learn to write one of the very first skills that we learn in schools is writing yeah but writing well and finding the things that that will move people will have emotions in them that is that is the hard work that is definitely the hard work and I mean yeah, I need to hear that too. <laughs> Writing well is the hard work. It is, and it's, it is, you know, it is a, it is an uphill battle. It's like, you know, I feel like you finished something and tell me, I mean, as a, you've, this is your sophomore novel and you're on to your next work. Like it doesn't, you get better, but it doesn't get easier. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's which each book it's like still climbing that hill (laughs) Mm -hmm. but one thing that i will say right now is something that i learned with writing this book to be honest Mm -hmm. and that is something my mentor john vinia love you john um he said to me is that we have to learn to be kind to our words the idea that you can sit down and write a masterpiece from your first trial is outlandish it's impossible there's nobody will be able to you're not Gabriel Garcia Marquez you're not going to write a masterpiece from the first couple sentences um so it makes sense that you would write something and then you're judgmental of it just be kind to it and and try to write something try to edit it make it better make it better over and over and over um this book went through 17 drafts 17 drafts and I assure you, when I read the first draft compared to the last one, they are not connected. And like they're the first one is basically when a child throws a horse, and the 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 seventeenth one mm-hmm. is when it's a it's a unicorn made of fire. You know what I mean? It's, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it's the it's, that's that's the, the meme, right? It's like the first yeah, draft. Yeah, that's, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's um, what I'm trying to play with. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I was like, I know, I was like, where do I? I've seen this, and I was like, oh, because. <laughs> 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 oh god. <laughs> um no well the last thing i want to ask you is um with this book and after writing it did you you know feel some sort of inner peace with like a younger version of yourself and Mm -hmm. like get to like you know let that part of you not to rest but to like you know, reconcile the image of the image I'm thinking of is like, you know, you looking at a younger version of yourself and able to, you know, give that 
give that version a hug or you know mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like uh understanding and like you know because it's hard mm-hmm. to like look back at yourself sometimes and like you know find love there yeah but like did you get to that place yourself it's kind of this question is kind of like rupaul showing the picture to the, the queen <laughs> of their older younger yeah. selves and they're like what do you have to tell to young danny here and uh, so what do you <laughs> have to tell to young danny? exactly <laughs> i'm holding that picture listeners you're not seeing it don't worry you're not seeing it but i'm holding that picture <laughs> wouldn't it be crazy if i pulled up a younger picture of you and i said what do you have to say <laughs> what do you have to say to this child uh i'm sorry i'm so sorry child um <laughs> I would say gosh um it's writing this book was writing the book before it was a trial was an experiment when I finished writing my debut novel the close line swing I didn't even know that that book will be eligible to be read to be honest like I didn't I, I was writing in a second language I still write in a second language of course in English um I've never tr- written anything in English before I've never written a novel altogether before and then I wrote a book and I was so unsure so unsteady um completely imbalanced I didn't know if I did a good job or not um the thing about this book is that when I finished writing it when I sent it to my editor for that final draft knowing damn well that it's done I knew it's a good book it's I have reached a point where I can tell that five-year-old in the picture you're holding right now uh that that you will be you will be able to reach that you'll be able to do to write that book and it will be good and you will know it in your heart of hearts that this is the thing that you you were meant to do yeah and I mean I that's I hope that for you specifically, you know, that brought peace, that brought, you know, peace to you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is in a way, I feel like that should be the, in a lot of art, especially when art reflects, you know, your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and by that, I mean, Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, because that's yeah. what, I, what I expect he saw his life as. Yeah. Um, <laughs> insane i don't know why it was because i just saw the rings of power um oh. ad somewhere i didn't watch the show i just saw an ad um but no i mean i was, I was trying to be serious and look at me um no fun. i mean seriously like it's it's i i hope that that's a mission for whoever is trying to write like this like you get to find you write it for yourself and then you write it for an audience you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's absolutely and that's you know, my therapist, my therapist is probably listening to this. Like, I know what I'm going to talk to. <laughs> like, it's like, have you been? How's your um, journaling going? I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to do this. <laughs> not today. No. Not today. Not today. Not today. Can we have a? No. Can we have one session where you tell me I'm doing well? Um, oh. No, she does. <laughs> She's great. My therapist is great. Shout out. Um, no, I mean, yeah, and again have your every therapist should have a person write a family write a book and see what perspective it is and and see what Mm -hmm. comes of it that sounds like a great that sounds like a great thought experiment and we'll see what happens there um yeah but Danny, before i go on another tangent about something i have no idea what i'm talking about (laughs) uh, 
Um, thank you, though. Thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, you can go by the fog, the foghorn echoes. I don't, every time I, I like put an N somewhere yeah. in the middle of foghorn. Um, it's, it's one the, of those the words. Funky doll echoes. The, fun- the funky doll echoes, yeah. <laughs> the funky doll echoes. You know what? That sounds like a sequel. That sounds like a sequel. <laughs> right there. I'm just, oh, God. I'm I, yeah, yeah. I, um, uh, I, I will hold the copyrights for that title. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you're and you're welcome. That's a free one right here from me. <laughs> no, listeners, go by the Foghorn Echoes right now. It's available in your local bookstore, including Skylight Books. Um, go grab a copy. It's such a fantastic mm-hmm. book and just like beautifully written, beautifully, beautifully oh. written. Um, Danny, is there anything you'd like to t- to say to you know our listeners or in our the the like independent bookstore community or your own independent mm-hmm. bookstore that you go to regularly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for hosting me, Lance. It has been fantastic to talk to you uh, and to be part of the the uh, uh, Skylight uh, Bookstore podcast. Um, thank you. I definitely support uh, independent bookstores and I think that they support us the best. It's, uh, it is my pleasure to be part of this. Um, and yeah, like you should folks read and write and sorry, and you should folks um, uh, buy the Foghorn Echoes and read it. I read it once. I really liked it. So I think you should do too. Uh, oh, you did? You recommend? You, you recommend? I do. I do. Highly recommend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 505. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, I think Danny has good recommendations. So this one's also yeah. good. <laughs> thank you so much Lance. i really appreciate oh, your time thank you for coming on it was a great episode and to all my listeners you all as you know i love you all you all have a great rest of your day enjoy do something nice for yourself today and you know if you're listening for the first time thank you for coming thank you for listening checking us out and if it's your 85th time listening and no i love you a little bit more if it was um no if you've come back i appreciate you and please come back and listen there have so many good episodes coming your way like this Mm -hmm. one um but to all of you have a great and beautiful rest of your day bye thank you for listening to the skylight books podcast series Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.